I'm strapped up. Nothing. What was that about? Let's make the fight happen. We strapped the fuck up. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 61 of the Strap Season podcast. I'm your host, Flows. And I'm your host, Cam. Yeah. And I'm first, Hayden Cowie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as you can tell, we've got a special guest. But before we get into the episode, make sure you follow us on all our social platforms. That's Twitter, that's Instagram, Strap Season podcast. And we're on all social streaming platforms and YouTube as well for the visuals. So make sure you hit us up on all those. Comment, like, subscribe, share. And yeah, um, as you can tell with me and Joey the pod, and you heard him briefly, we've got a special guest in the building today. And this is someone we've met on Clubhouse. We've had good discussions, great debates. And the beauty of those debates actually is that we don't always agree, but when you're talking to someone who knows their boxing and has great logic behind their opinions and facts as well it always makes for a great debate and there's no disrespect we can agree to disagree we can learn new things as well i like to call him the voice because when he talks about boxing the insights the clarity the breakdown he offers is captivating and i think really and truly he should probably have his own podcast or be in boxing commentary as well because you'll know you'll see when we get into the podcast you'll hear him talk and you'll listen to him and you'll be captivated as well Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Hayden Cowie. Thanks, fellas. I appreciate guru. it. The guru Hayden I'm, Cowie. <laughs> I'm excited to be here with you guys. Thank, thank you for joining us, bro. Um, we're really looking forward to this one. This one should be dope. Um, yeah. Um, I think we've been looking to have you on at some point. And I think given the sort of fights were coming our way, I think it was probably the right time to get you on. Um, obviously, we'll delve into I want to we'll delve into reasons as to why we wanted you on this specific week for this specific episode but yeah Hayden welcome um just to I guess first of all just intro you to our listeners um I like to ask this question to I guess all the guests we have on the pod um just to give them a bit of background on yourself um what got you into boxing um how did you how did you become a fan who were your favorite fighters growing up that sort of made you a fan of boxing yeah sort of break that down for us so yeah growing up uh, I, I was obsessed with boxing. Um, and, you know, I, uh, fortunately, I had people in my family that also enjoyed it, not, not to the level that I did, but still uh, supported watching it. You know, here in the United States, we had ABC Wild World of Sports, and we'd have, you know, uh, of course, my favorite as a kid, I had uh, Muhammad Ali action figure doll that came, you know, and had a little belt that you push a button on and he would punch. And, you know, so it was great. Um, I, I, I love to watch uh, Sugar Ray Leonard as a kid. I love to watch Marvin Hagler, uh, Salvador Sanchez. Um, those were, you know, some of my favorites. Uh, in the later years, when I started really, really getting into um, following fighters from the ground up and, and having access to the uh, amateur uh, development of fighters, you know, guys like Pernell Whitaker were, great for me to watch I, I loved watching his career Evander Holyfield those guys um and then you know I would sit down and start talking with my friends about 
fantasy matchups, things that I would have loved to have seen, you know, Julio Cesar Chavez and, and, and Roberto Duran at 135 was Ooh. one that I would always bring up and think, man, that would have been, you know, so you right. do enough of just reinforces uh, your, your obsession at that point, you know, uh, you wish you were a promoter and you can't stand guys like Don King because they're just not making the fights that you want to see. Um, as I got older, you know, I was in martial arts from young and uh, particularly made my moves in, in Muay Thai and became a two division uh, champ in, in Muay Thai, but wanted to make myself a better fighter. The fights were definitely, you know, title defenses and fights were definitely getting harder. And honestly, when I won my second uh, title, the guy I beat was he was a better fighter than I was. He de- I, I felt that way, but I was faster and more powerful. And I think that kept me in the game. And he had some habits that I could read. Um, but skill for skill, he was a better fighter. And I knew then for sure I was going to have to do something different. And, you know, I didn't know what to do, but I could tell when we'd get in the clinches and things, you know, and they would start throwing knees, I could beat them with my hands. I just didn't know how to do it. So I really, uh, that's when I went over to boxing and got schooled by an amateur. Uh, my first day sparring, I thought, Hey, you know, I'm a two division champ. I got this. And this five fight amateur beat me from pillar to post two days in a row. And I was hooked (laughs) at that point. (laughs) At that point I was like, no, 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 this can't happen. And I just dropped kickboxing after a while and just focused on amateur boxing and became a, uh, and later on became a sparring partner of, a, you know, a professional sparring partner for some of these guys. So, uh, you know, I've trained with some some great guys, British Commonwealth champions, uh, to, to being among them, uh, Vernon Lewis, uh, Lennox Blackmore. Um, I, I went from Blackmore to a guy named Peter Kahn, not the promoter, but an actual uh, uh, trainer who was trash. And from there, I went to uh, the Judah brothers, Zab Judah, uh-huh. Yol Judah, uh, and then to Hall of Fame trainer Bob Jackson, who I ended up with for umpteen years. And he just took my love, my obsession for boxing and my passion for boxing and turned it into a love for boxing. And, you know, I just having that trifecta of emotions just sends you to a whole nother level. And um, I was fortunate to work with, uh, to have, since I was with Bob Jackson, his cut man uh, and, and business partner was Lennox Lewis's cut man, Al Gavin. So I had the very distinct pleasure of being able to work, the honor of being able to have both of those gentlemen uh, work with me. So Bloody hell. <laughs> That's well, how what, it started. What a history. What a history, man. Wow. <laughs> Extensive that's journey. How it started. That's the monster created, right? That's there. that's that's amazing. And it's so interesting to me how, like you said, you was a martial artist, a Muay Thai fighter, and yeah. that somehow led you to boxing. Um, due to yeah. yeah, just due to how that went down and how you felt like right. you was inferior in the clinches and whatnot. So that's yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's that's really yeah. interesting to There's me. Actually. a lot to be said. I teach a lot of martial arts. I started yeah. as a kid, you know, five years old, I was taking Shotokan and then moving into other aspects of martial arts. And what I've come to realize over the years when I teach martial arts and open forms of martial arts is that the fundamental principles of all martial arts are the same. And mm. boxing is one of the oldest and purest forms of martial art. Yeah. And 
you know, I teach people when you get in a ring, it's called a ring for a reason because it was a circle. It was a ring. Mm. And because of the the geometry of the fight game of, of boxing and other martial arts, it was forced to be in, in, in a square. Ring cir- circles are defense. If you look at boxing, circling someone is defensive. Weaving is defensive. Rolling is defensive. Those are all circles. Fencing, you parry. That's a circular movement to a lunge. Capoeira, defensive counterfight. You know, kung fu, karate. Wax on, wax off is defense. Mm. So when you have two guys in the pugilistic arts and they're circling in defense all the time, it gets boring. So you put them in a square and now you can circle in the middle, but cut off those angles. And now you've, you've got to fight. Yeah. And that's what I like Red to circle. teach people. Being perfect, a bit of a perfect, historian. Yeah. Perfectly put. Perfectly put. Yeah. That's, that's brilliant. Um, great. Well, well, what an intro straight away. <laughs> but, um, yeah. That's, that's, that's brilliant stuff, Hayden. Thanks for that. Um, yeah, what history, like I said, true historian as well, which, yeah, our listeners will find out as we progress with this episode. Um, but yeah, flows. Uh, let's get down to business with the episode. Mm-hmm. We have a clear agenda for today. And I want to start with what happened on the weekend, this weekend's action. Uh, we, previewed it, we, previewed, we previewed it last episode. Um, big, big fight to me, and I guess to hardcore boxing fans, I suppose. Uh, Jamel Herring versus Shakur Stevenson um, for the 130, the WBO 130-pound belt. Um, yeah, Shakur Stevenson was challenging. Jamel Herring is, is the champion. Uh, Flo, is, well, me and you, obviously, we predicted that we thought that Shakur Stevenson was going to take this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we thought it was going to be a close fight, but Shakur Stevenson, who we believe has got superstar power, um, we've We've said it on the pod before. In fact, we said it last year, didn't we, Flo, is that, you know, we earmarked like a bunch of like, young up-and-coming fighters who we feel are, you know, have superstar potential and who are primed to take over. And I think Shakur Simonson was first on our list, right? Um, so, um, yeah, we were big fans of Shakur on this pod and we thought it would be close, but boy, was it anything but close. <laughs> um, Shakur Stevenson has done a job on Jamal Herring and I didn't see it playing out that way but that's why we love boxing um hayden obviously as your new first episode, first time listener first time our listeners would have heard you um i just want to ask you what are your thoughts on Shakur stevenson um and did you catch the fight i did catch the fight um of Shakur stevenson um and you know i was a bit biased because Going into this fight, I, I had the inside, and the inside is I am very good friends with uh, Regis Progre and oh, yeah, his yeah. coach and everything. And Shakur Stevenson did a lot, and when I say a lot, a lot of sparring uh, with uh, Regis Progre to get ready for this fight. And uh, you know, at first I I thought about it, and I said, you know, this may not be a good idea for Stevenson, um, a because it's not the same kind of fight. Um, Herring's not, you know, Herring and, and, and Progre are two different fighters. They, they, they fight nothing alike. But then I looked at uh, some of the variables and then I, you know, I said, you know, if, if Regis Progre, uh, as durable as he is, as tough as he is, as strong as he is, as much uh, muscular endurance as he has to keep punching and coming forward, uh, if, if Stevenson can get through sessions like that and look good, it's hard to look good against Progre. Um, Herring's in trouble. 
and the kind of conditioning it takes to 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 work with a guy like Progre, um, you know, you're walking through hellfire every day. He doesn't know what sparring is. And, uh, you know, I saw it. I got to see some of that firsthand. And there, no doubt in my mind, um, he handled Progre. Uh, he didn't just make it through sessions. He handled the, the bigger, harder punching guy, which, you know, when I looked at it, I said, he's only bigger by division. Yeah. And I, I noticed that people were saying that during during the weigh-ins. Oh, you know, the smaller guy, the smaller guy. Stevenson is not the smaller guy. When you look at their frame, you look at their density, you look at, you know, I, I, I think Herring's waist is probably 26 or 27 inches. He looks, you know, that small around the middle. I said, you know, he's going to need more density than that. Uh, he has a long torso and his arms are decent length, but not not exceedingly long to cover the entire torso. So when it came to body punching, he was very exposed um, and he had to make a choice, you know, bring the hands down and cover the torso and expose myself up top or cover the head and let him work the body. And it was a dilemma that really showed during the fight, because when he did either, you know, Stevenson was able to go. He was able to go upstairs when he was protecting downstairs and vice versa. And it was really it was really tough. He never really was in the fight. He gave a good account of himself. And if he was fighting anybody else that night, it would have been a tough fight. But that night, uh, it was just a one-sided affair by, I think, a, a, a more talented, faster, um, just better schooled, better prepared fighter. Yeah. Um, I mean, from what I saw, um, just to echo those sentiments, um, it's, it's interesting you brought up the size thing in the sense that, obviously, we, we, t- we talked about before, haven't we, floated in this pod, that for that, for that division... In terms of dimensions, Heron is pretty ridiculous. I mean, he's like, what, 5'10", yeah. 5'11", um, super long, etc., which can cause issues. But on the night, to me, uh, Stevenson looked just a bit more filled out, a bit thicker, if you know what I Definitely. mean. So he, he wasn't going to allow himself to be bullied, and he didn't at all. And from what I saw, obviously, Stevenson had the clear edge advantage in speed. Like, it was so apparent. Um, from round one and yeah from round one he enforced his game plan of that he was going to take center ring he was going to force Heron who usually is a come forward fighter usually tends to take center ring himself but Stevenson wasn't allowing that Um, he was yeah taking center ring and beating him to combinations all the time Heron tried to establish the jab but Stevenson was able to slip it easily get his own jabs off, get his own combinations off. And Her- Heron looked befuddled in the first two rounds. And I'm there thinking, this could be a serious shutout, but this could be a beatdown. Um, I think it wasn't until, say, round five, I believe, where Heron actually, I think, because Bo Mack, obviously, who's Heron's trainer, was basically laying into him each round saying, you need to do something. Like, what are you doing? He was having a go at him. I think it was until round five when Heron actually attempted to force Stevenson back and try to trade with him and try to make it rough and ugly. Yeah. But um, it's, I mean, he had a bit of success, but overall, even though he had success, those rounds where he had success, you could still say Stevenson won those rounds or had the better moments in those rounds because he was picking up better shots. He He just wasn't called in those. Exactly. Yeah. He was beating him to the punch all the time. was hitting with better shots. And yeah, like I said, I was shocked at how easy it looked for Shakur Stevenson. 
I really was. Um, but, Flo, what, 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 sorry, go ahead. If you if you were training Heron, mm. what would you have told him? On round one, he should have employed that game plan that he employed in round five. Five, yeah. I, I think those first two, first two or three rounds gave Shakur Stevenson way too much confidence. He knew from then, I'm as strong as you. I'm faster than you. I'm beating you up already. This is my fight. And from then, he controlled the story of the fight. If Herring came out the way he came out in round five, where he yeah. jumped on top of him, made it rough and ugly, if he'd done that from round one, Stevenson's confidence wouldn't have been sky high. It would yeah. have been a much tougher fight. And that's what... Coming out and trying to box with Stevenson in that first round and trying to go jab for jab with him, completely wrong game plan. And I think it was a foregone conclusion after the second round, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so so here's what... And I, I agree fully. Another dimension I would have probably... I would most definitely have added was that Stevenson would initiate but he was also counterpunching, which was displaying his speed, right? Yeah. Every time he tried to do something, he was ready with the angle, ready with the counterpunch, ready to catch him. Uh, sometimes Haring's punch would leave first. Stevenson would catch him while he was still punching. He didn't wait for the full counter, right? I think one of the key ingredients there, since he was so jumpy and since he was using so much speed, was make him overuse his speed and use feints. And that's something we didn't see Herring do at all. Make him faint and counterpunch his, his reaction. His reaction may have been a punch. It may have been exposing himself for a second. It may have just been a flinch or, or freezing back or stepping back. But he didn't do it. And we didn't get to see what might happen had he tried to uh, fake him out a little bit and, and, and get a reaction. Um, I don't know if Heron is schooled enough or fast enough to do that, but I think he should have. You know, if you start the feint, then you should be ready to throw whatever you want to do to counter the movement that comes after. And we didn't see him, com you know, commit to any of that. Yeah, I think that tells to the skill gap between these guys because yeah, yeah. Looking at Stevenson, he's got a well-rounded defense. When you look at his upper body reflexes, the footwork. Um, his distance control. Sometimes he was stepping into Herring to close that gap and stepping out. It's it's a well-rounded defense. And when you look at his, his offense, that's well yeah. just as well-rounded. Like yeah. you said, counter shots, his hand speed, putting together combinations. Um, it was brilliant to see. Um, a, a star for me <laughs> and a star. Easy. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, I think uh, uh, Valdez is sweating buckets right now. Yeah, um, that's literally good segue because that's who that's what I was going to move on to um, in terms of what's next for Shakur Stevenson because he has, has be. called out Oscar Valdez straight away from the off. And <laughs> I'll be honest, I don't think... I mean, Val, let's, let's not get it twisted. Valdez is a wonderful fighter. Brilliant, brilliant fighter. Um, see, the question is, last performance against um, Kosan Sal, which, you know, I, I feel like he lost that fight, but Apart from the hoo-ha with the whole drug issue and whatnot, let's not take anything away from Valdez. He's a brilliant, brilliant fighter with some brilliant wins. Um, I think we said the knockout against um, Rochelle, I believe it was. Rochelle. What a, what a fight that was and what a, what a finish. Um, but I'm going to be real, Oscar. I don't know if you understand English or whatever, but I, 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 I think he's running from that fight. I don't think he wants that fight one bit. 
I mean, he's Mexican to be fair, so Mexicans are warriors. They don't really duck people, but boy, I I, I already favor Shakur in that in that fight. I think Shakur is special. He really is special. Um, yeah, easily. You're absolutely right. You know, I I, I kind of feel bad for uh, Valdez because um, he beat Burchelt. Uh, Burchelt to me wasn't a very skilled fighter. He's a punching machine. He comes forward and he's just a punching machine. And I think Valdez fought the fight of his life to, to, to get out of that. That being said, when he looked at the rest of the division, they were always breathing down his neck. That's an, he, Oscar Valdez is the low-hanging fruit. He is one of the most exciting fighters, uh, if not the most exciting fighter in the division. I think he's more exciting than Shakur. Shakur is just, we know what we're getting, so that takes the excitement out of it. Uh, you know, we lose the risk factor, you know, especially after he gets past Herring. We're not worried about him at all. We know the outcome, right? Uh, Valdez, every fight he's in is a question mark. And he, you know he's going to get up and he's going to fight his butt off to get to where he does. I, I, I feel bad for the guy because I feel there's always been an easy bull, you know, bullseye on his back for that title to pick up his strap. And, and poor guy can never settle down to enjoy it. Uh, you know, Shakur Stevens, he knows he gets to sit back and, 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 and chill out for a while. And when he does go to defend it, he's going to be supremely confident. The, the pressure is everyone else's, you know. So I, I, I like I like Valdez. I like him a lot. I like his moxie, his spunk. I like his uh, never say quit. Uh, and, and, you know, watch him in the amateurs. And, and you know, this guy, he really he, he, he'll go out on his shield, unfortunately. he's he's mexican what that's all they know (laughs) right 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 and and you look at stevenson's dimensions again we we come back to that for a 130 pounder i think his density his wingspan his you know musculature which he hasn't fully grown into yet is more than herrings Yeah. yeah So I, I, you know, I don't think he's reached the peak of muscular maturity for another, you know, that he will for another four or five years. And here he is already looking like a man child. Yeah. That's what impressed me the most. Um, He seems to have that man strength now. Jamal Heron's 35 and he was, he looked the bully in there at times. (laughs) Shaco Stevenson. And for me, it's not the super featherweight division. I want to be seeing Shaco Stevenson at for too long. And that, that's a good point, Flores, as well, because I feel like for Shakur, he, he, he already is just chasing the big fish in whatever division he's in. You know how some fighters, they will want to unify the division before they contemplate moving up. Um, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, get all four belts and whatnot. I think for Shakur, it's a case of let me take out the big fish now, make my statement, move up straight. I don't think he's interested really in the... the uh, because Valdez has what the WBC. I don't think he's too interested in the IBF or the WBA. Um, I think if he grabs the WBC strap, that's unification enough for everyone else. Yeah. I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And like a, Valdez know, is the big fish, so that's the that's the right. main guy in the division. So for him, it's take him out, move up. And we highlighted last episode, Flo's how Shakur. We've already seen multiple times he's got into it with the one thirty five pounders already. He's gone at these guys. He's called them out already, saying he wants to fight them and whatnot. So I said it before, Shakur's coming. <laughs> He's coming. Shakur, Shakur versus Tank Davis would be a good fight for me, but I feel like... But yeah, they, they've, I, they've got to build like, that. 
Not yet, not now. Yeah, I think collision course with Tank, as long as Tank can continue to make weight, I think he's on a collision course with Tank, moving as quickly as he has. You know, again, if he grabs this strap from Valdez in pretty short order, which I think he would, I, I don't see why we should delay or try to build it for anything that, it, it you know, it, for more than it is. He should jump right in and start going after guys. I think he should save a guy, uh, you know, save guys like, uh, you know, Davis for the end. But I think he gets through the division pretty easily. I think uh, guys like Tio is looking over his shoulder. I think, you know, some of these guys are looking to get what they can quickly and get out and breathe this collective sigh of relief because he is the, he is the future of, I think, at least up until the junior welterweight division. I think he's uh, he's going to be severely challenged to get beyond there. I think he's going to be very challenged in the junior welterweight division. Man, one three. I mean, we've already highlighted how ridiculous the one thirty five pound division is. Imagine with the addition yeah. of Shakur. My gosh. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. There's, and these there's... fights are going to have to happen. They're going to have <laughs> um, to happen. Well, we've been saying this. Obviously, we because obviously there's five guys in the division right now who were still waiting to try and fight each other and. It's frustrating for me right now and for, I guess, all boxing fans about just how there's a lack of action in the 145 division. But yeah, eventually you like to think that there's, there'll be nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. These fights need to happen. There's a logjam. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine Shakur Stevenson against Josh Taylor? No, he's not ready for that yet. <laughs> yeah, he's not, he's not ready yet. <laughs> right. But you see what I'm saying? You know, yeah. he, he comes in and he's going to be challenged a bit, but you know, by the time he gets up there, and that's why I say up to the one forty pound division, it's somewhere we're going to find his sweet spot. I think pretty quickly uh, as things move, and I, I think he's going to do well at one thirty five. But I think we're going to have some exciting fights because he's entered. He's the next generation, uh, and some of the guys sitting there, they're they're hungry, and some of the guys that, you know that are that are um, the 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 second tier. Are, are really hungry. I think it's good. We're in for a treat between 130 and 140 uh, over the next two years. Yep. And the, be- the beauty of it is that they're all still young. So yes. Yeah. We have yeah. time to We're wait. We're not aging out. Herring's going to age out. Uh, yeah. But but the rest of the rest of these guys, you know, I mean, we still got, and we still got ga- dangerous guys out there uh, that that are a little bit senior. They're not they're not out yet, but they're still a little bit, you know. Loma, Lo- Lomachenko, yeah, yeah. Loma, Kaposis, yeah. Uh, you know, all of those guys are still still dangerous. And now we have to add our Spanish counterpart, who is now a titleist. Did anyone watch the Mar- the Sander Martin fight? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. We covered that last episode. <laughs> yeah, so we yeah we 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 covered that last episode. Big shock. Okay. Um, yeah, big big shock. I don't think anyone saw that coming. Um, and for, I think what our main takeaways first were that we just Mikey Garcia just didn't look good at all. Um, he still yeah I think Flo, as you mentioned how he looked a bit he still looked a bit out of shape. Obviously, he's been, he's been out for a year and a half, so the ring rust settled in, and I still blame him going up to 147 and fighting Errol Spence for this downfall of Mikey Garcia because he hasn't looked the same since then, and that that annoyed me personally. But yeah, I don't think he looked horrible. I don't think he looked like Mikey Garcia of old. 
but I don't think that would have mattered. This guy came in, Sandro Martin, with a game plan, and he was supremely confident. Yeah. And he said, look, I'm going to take him to school. I know his fighting style. And you know what? I look at him, and I say the same thing. Regis Progre, we were talking about it. He looked at him, and he said the same thing. And I don't know if it's a Southpaw thing. Being a Southpaw, I, I speak the lingo. I understand what they're looking at. And to me, Mikey Garcia has always been very mechanical, very methodical, very, you know, fundamentally sound, sound i think yeah. that's a superpower yeah i think that's a superpower that, no, that, it he's is. not super that's, fast that's what we he's always say right yeah i think he's so disciplined and regiment but it's predictable it's so predictable especially for people that are looking from looking at it from the other side and i think sender martin has a very i i know he has a very high ring iq he has very he's the quintessential southpaw and he was always a step or two ahead of mikey the mikey couldn't cut off the ring he just couldn't figure out it wasn't just in his conditioning or or the shape he kept going to the end but this guy he he couldn't trap him in a corner he couldn't trap him on the ropes he just couldn't get there um, and I don't think that's something that's going to change, uh, no matter who Martin, you know, Martin fights. I think they're going to have their hands full with this guy. He is that good. He is good. Um, he definitely impressed me as well. Cause I wasn't too cooled up with him up until the fight. Um, but I will say this though. I think if Mikey Garcia is serious about continuing or whatever he wants to do, he's got to rematch this guy. Um, I'm not saying he wins a rematch or whatever, but I don't, cause obviously there was a lot of talk. Well, when he came back, that obviously he'll try and get a fight with Regis Progre, etc. If Mikey wants That's these big, obviously we now it's, well Regis even said it himself, it's not going to happen, <laughs> and it doesn't deserve to happen. But no. if Mikey, and, um, and just his his chances of beating Pro, I, I, I just yeah, feel yeah. like Progre, yeah. Progre will destroy him. The southpaw is not a typical southpaw. Progre is a seek and destroy type of fighter, yeah. and Mikey Garcia doesn't have the wheels to get out of the way of that kind of if you get into a dog fight with him mikey garcia is gone he's yep. that's it he'll retire garcia he'll no no, he'll no break i agree <laughs> yeah he'll break it so you know i i don't want to see that fight because i know the outcome i don't want to see that fight because i think it's dangerous for a guy like mikey garcia and his bike fighting style so when we say mikey garcia should just retire call it a day if he can make 130 Oscar Valdez. He can't make one play. He can't, no, he can't make one. No way. If he can make it just for a few minutes. He has to rematch Sandal Martin. I'm sorry. If he wants to it's move forward, and it's not he's got to rematch Sandal. Martin has gone to bigger and better things, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, if I were Mikey Garcia, I would just look to hang it up. He's done well uh, on his on Damn. his talent. Um, me, personally, I think this is a good place for Mikey to get out. Yeah. He, he's, achieved, right. he, he's achieved a hell of a lot. He's achieved a hell of a lot and um, he was a five division champion and whatnot. And I think obviously we highlighted it before flows that back then he was the kingpin and it was him versus Loma we wanted to see. That was, that was the fight to make. And then this stupid Errol Spence fight happened and I just thought why? And yeah, um, so he's, he's, he's made enough money as well. I think we would have been very underwhelmed with a Mikey Garcia Lomachenko fight. Again, uh, you know, when you, when you flip it around on guys like that and, and you look at Loma's fighting style, uh, Mikey just doesn't have the wheels. He's never had the wheels to get out of the way of guys like that. Um, especially he's tailor-made for left-handed fighters. 
Mikey Garcia is tailor-made for left-handed fighters. He's uh, he's kind of a a more balanced uh, Leo Santa Cruz, puffed up Leo Santa Cruz to me. And and you know meets his opponents head on. He's usually you know he he has enough technique and turns his punches over enough to bump their punches out of the way with his arms, and he'll get there first, not because of speed, but because he's just a driving force. He's a drill bit constant you know machine at yeah. what he does but i i don't see that he uh he can beat a speedy good defensive fighter let alone a southpaw like that hey i, I would have still loved to see him back when he was at his peak i would love to see it still um but it is what it is obviously he went a different path Loma went a different path and here we are today um but yeah hats off to sandal martin again because yeah, that's a big upset win. And he's, yeah, like you said, Hayden, he's announced himself in conversations yeah. now. And yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing more of him because I was impressed with what he offered up from a technical standpoint, just how he approached the fight. Um, yeah, he came in, like you said, with a game plan. And just yeah. extremely confident. You uh. could tell on the ring walk, you could tell his presence in the ring. You could tell, you know, just by the way he looked at his opponent from start to finish. He didn't panic. He wasn't overly flinchy. He didn't react to everything, you know, with, with head movement. Oftentimes he made the adjustment in his feet versus his head that let you know, I can see that up here. I don't need that, but I'll move these to be in the right position at the right angle, at the right distance. And I will counter you and you won't be able to trap me. And by the time you look to punch, I'm going to be on to the next thing. And he did that time and time and time again and you know even if we said mikey garcia was 80 percent or 85 percent of himself prior he was just light years ahead it wouldn't have made a difference it really wouldn't have. he was just so far ahead did um, you give did you give mikey any rounds in that fight um i can't even remember i think i gave him a couple but it was convincing I, I gave him one round and maybe one arguably only because Martin kind of took the round off a little yeah, bit. Yeah. And, uh. But um, other than that, I, I but, couldn't even argue rounds for, for Mikey Garcia. They were I, so... I, I remember when I finished watching it, I remember thinking to myself, Mikey Garcia just got schooled. That was my... That was my... <laughs> but that's what like, he going to yeah. do. That was my first <laughs> thought when I watched it. I said, wow, he's been schooled here. One of the judges gave him a draw. One yes. Of the two, which upset me because it was never a draw. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was tough. That was tough to swallow. And uh, the fact that Mikey Garcia was smiling when they said that, I was like, you can't possibly think that you're, this is even close. You know, he must well, have been smiling. Somebody loves somebody besides my mom loves my fighting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Um, but yeah, um, let's round it up there, I think, with the smaller guys, because... Uh, I want to start a discussion now on the big boys, the heavyweights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this was supposed to be a very different discussion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this, this is going to be interesting. And as I mentioned earlier, right, in the pod that, you know, we wanted Hayden to get on this episode specifically because, as Flo said, um, we, you know, we, we clicked up with Hayden via Clubhouse. Um, some good, there were some good boxing rooms on Clubhouse back in the day, obviously, and you get a lot of, you know, discussions and debates and whatnot over boxing, which was, I guess, what the app is used for, right? Um, and whenever we would discuss the heavyweights, 
you know, it always got spicy, always got heated. You know, as I said, heavyweight boxing just, you know, gets the juices flowing, right? And um, yeah, well, different, comp- <laughs> you know, different topics will come up, such as top five heavyweights and who are your best heavyweights and whatnot. And obviously the usual suspects will be there, right? Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder. Some, you know, at one point, obviously, Andy Ruiz was in there. And I think a lot of people would put in Dylan White. And, you know, the general consensus was that people would agree with Dylan White being there, saying he's top five. But there was always one voice that there was always one voice that was very, very anti-white being in the top five and just anti-white in general, really. And that was Mr. Hayden Cowie. And there's Hayden would always offer up uh, another boxer that he would place ahead of White. He would, he would always mention guys who you ranked ahead of White. And one of those fighters was Otto Wallin, who you would always say that you felt that White would struggle to um, beat if they fought. And, and, and then the second was Usyk. And the second was Usyk, who, yes. And who, who people would laugh uh, yep. and drag yeah, yep. me about because he was, a, a, I believe someone said, a puffed up cruiserweight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here we are with this yep. puffed up cruiserweight ha- handling a legitimate yeah. top three guy and owning a, a piece of the heavyweight uh, pie. Um, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I was always an advocate for Otto Wallen. Uh, yes. Otto Wallen well. Yes. And um, was over the moon when Wallen took out the trash with Dominic Brazil because that, you know, there were people who would rank Dominic Brazil in the top five or eight and crazy. i couldn't crazy that. that that was ludicrous that was just Obviously. beyond ludicrous um you know those people deserve to be bumped down to the to the gulag for sure you know when i looked at otto Wallen, i saw a guy who a could handle the biggest of the big guys you know size wasn't a, a factor uh you know when you looked at his very good, I won't say great, very good skill, his exceptional durability, his um, exceptional heart, and exceptional discipline. That's a lot of exception. That's a lot of exceptional to have in one fighter. You know, usually it's one or two of those things. Uh, I don't think he has the, the highest ring IQ, but... I always say that when we're talking about the heavyweight division, we're not talking about a boxing division. We're talking about heavyweight fighting. Um, It's the boxers who typically have longevity or who typically excel, right? They can all fight, but the ones that rise to the top or the ones who stay at the top are the ones who can actually box. Valen is one of those guys. He boxes. He boxes well. Uh, Not exceptional, but he boxes. Deontay Wilder did not box. Um, Andy Ruiz, not typically a boxer. Uh, Joshua is a boxer. But Joshua's learning curve has been tremendous. And it's been a very one-dimensional style of fighting. Yes, he has a decent jab. He has a decent cross. He has a decent hook. He has a decent uppercut. But he doesn't have a decent jab cross hook. He doesn't have a decent double jab you know, cross. He doesn't have good combinations. 
He's very mechanical in what he does and very predictable for a guy who does box and who is a bit fluid. And he is going to have trouble with guys who can counter, who are quick counter punchers. And, you know, Andy Ruiz was able to time him. It wasn't that he, people are forgetting that Andy Ruiz was losing that fight. Joshua forgot that he wasn't a boxer and stepped in to, to, to overwhelm him. And this guy fighting for his life was able to uncork what he always does, right? I, I, when we look at Dillian White, I don't see him as much of a boxer either. I see him as a fighter. And he has trouble with guys, Povetkin, who box. Um, he was winning that fight, much like Joshua was winning the, the, the fight that he lost. But Povetkin came up with a little bit of boxing, and that's where he got overconfident and lost. In the rematch against a post-COVID Povetkin, he should have destroyed Povetkin. Povetkin really wasn't doing anything. And I don't know if it was gun-shy. I don't know if it was um, you know, just a little bit of added caution, but I thought that fight should have been over. A double jab, a cross, and a, and, and a left hook, and Povetkin would have been out of there in round three. And, and, and White showed me he didn't have the killer instinct that he should have in that division to get to where he wants, right? He should have come back. Wait, hey, he just been knocked out badly. The last hey, round. For, for, wait, first, let me say that hey, Hayden, he, Dylan White was beating the hell out of Povetkin in that first fight, first of all. Um, obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. he got Agreed. caught. Agreed. You get caught. Agreed. That happens. AJ got caught. It happens. And in heavyweight boxing. But Dillian White Dillian. isn't supposed to be AJ at this point. He's not supposed to be on that on, on par with AJ if he wants to be. He's he's supposed to have matured since his what was it? Oh yeah, lost to AJ. But he has. You you try to say that you don't right. think he's matured? That's what I'm saying. So if he has matured that much, yeah, then that Povetkin two, Povetkin one shouldn't have happened. AJ lost have because AJ lost because he was just he's immature. You know, and I, I say that not socially or emotionally. I think in the ring, he's he's traveled so quickly up the rankings on on his ability as an athlete that he's been able to skip some steps. Right? He needs some seasoning. That's why he's here shopping. I was, uh, uh, you know, he was here in Texas the other day uh, well, uh, shopping. Hayden, Hayden, Hayden. We'll, we'll get onto that. Don't worry. We'll, we'll yeah, touch upon yeah. that. We'll touch upon that. So, <laughs> so when I go back and I look at it, if you if it's, I'm sorry, but the spotlight's on you. If you really want to make noise, you can't keep coming up that much short. Here's your time to shine. You've got to, you've got to be picture perfect against a Pavetkin type. There's no way that Pavetkin should have been led into that fight the first time. There's definitely no way it should have taken him that long in the second fight. To I mean, Hayden, the second fight was only four rounds. I mean, how will you say that long? I mean, it's four. Still too long. Four rounds wasn't too and long. wait, Flo, how many, how, wait, how many times did he drop him as well? Like three or four times? Just saying, should have put him on. That's boxing. what I mean. This should have put him away quickly. What? One drop, <laughs> done. One and done. Aiden, four rounds. He <laughs> one and done. The guy was a he was you're a being, punching. You're, you're being too harsh. You're okay. being too harsh. I, you know, and and that may be that may be, but you got to look at this. Nowhere in there did you see him step on the gas and say I'm going for it. Yeah, but Hayden, you've just been knocked out by this guy, and look, I mean, look, look what happened, look what happened in the first fight. He right, but if he, you want he, your just dessert, you, you're gonna have to. You have to. Right now, he has to. Or else then you're stuck, you're relegated to these guys in the organ because you know the politics. 
relegated to them giving you Atovalin and other guys to fight first. You're going to have to come in there and just start Povetkin right out of the gates and go, next, next, don't feed me this garbage. Don't feed me this garbage. Four okay. rounds, a lot of punching <laughs> happened. And close, Povetkin close. you go, you go. <laughs> well, well, what is did none of it. Povetkin, None of it. If Povetkin AJ had out. that Povetkin in front of him, two rounds. Maybe. Two rounds with that Likely. Povetkin. I, I probably agree with that, yes. But he's just been knocked out badly. And this is heavyweight boxing. It can happen. Povetkin's a wily old, experienced professional. He sell that shot and it was a get-out-of-jail card for him and it landed and it worked. But I, I want to bring this back to the White versus Otto Wallin. Yeah, so just, Flores, could you just like, you jump in there? Yeah, the reason we're having this discussion, listeners, obviously was, yes, Otto Wallin and Dylan White were scheduled together on uh, this weekend on the 30th of October. The winner and the WBC came out and said the winner will be given a mandatory slot for the WBC title. And last week, we got the unfortunate news that Dylan White has had to pull out due to a shoulder injury. Um, apparently he injured it during apparently he's had a shoulder problem all, all camp because we know camps aren't perfect and most fighters they have little niggles and injuries during camp and whatnot but he damaged it like even further basically during his last session of sparring and they went to see a specialist and the specialist advised apparently that yeah the fight he's not in condition to fight with that shoulder so that's what happened that's why we're discussing this it's obviously it's a big shame because is that what happened really well, I, I do want to well, say, yeah, we'll we'll get into that as well. It, it, is it a shoulder injury or is it or is it a heart condition? <laughs> I know what he's trying to say. Hey, there's a nasty guy, you know. I know what he's trying to say. Well, I, you well, know what? You know what? It's neither. Well, it's a head condition. Smart. <laughs> it, and, and you know what? It it, it could be um, because so Wallen's manager asked uh -huh. for independent uh, physicians' opinion. Did they ever? Were they ever? ever able to come up with uh, the arrangements for that? They probably won't. They won't. Yeah. <laughs> they I, won't. I think they won't. But yeah. say, saying that, look, Dylan White is the interim WBC champion. Yeah. Otto Wallen isn't ranked in the top 10 for the WBC. So with, with the way the rankings is, Dylan White already has the mandatory slot for Tyson Fury. Right. This right. was a voluntary defense of his interim with Otto Wallen. So Wallin can't be claiming that ah oh, you you should you have to fight me, I deserve the mandatory shot. He has no real claim. Yep. Well, yeah. This, is, that this we... is just Dylan White being a warrior and chooses to fight, which Wallin. he constantly does throughout his career and comes out for the most part victor. That's one thing you got away by White. He fights all the all the guys. There's no ducking or whatnot. He fights the avoided guys. Oscar Rivas was apparently super avoided. He went and fought Joseph Parker, even even though he was a clear underdog in that one. And he's come out tops. Um, sure. And one thing I do want to get into is obviously, yeah, you sort of touched upon, I guess, why you feel Wallin is superior to Dylan White. And I guess why, if obviously this fight's not going to go ahead now, but if it was to have gone ahead this, this Saturday, it would have been great because we would have both got our prediction. We would have all got our predictions on the line and me and Flo's would be in right. And then we'll probably invite you back next week so we can rub it in even some more. Like, that's what I really wanted to happen. So Hayden, you're lucky. We're very lucky. I, 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 don't, <laughs> I, I look at the yeah. What do you Wallen see in Wallen that you see would be superior on the night of the thirtieth? Hypothetically, if okay. Let me ask. Able to fight. Do you think? Do you think Dillian White beats Tyson Fury? No, no, 
But I think no. I, I think I think he gives it a hell of a good go. I think he gives okay. it, it, it tough fight. So, Fury. Okay, so that being said, uh, do you think he gets stopped by Tyson Fury? Hmm. A, lot, a lot of silence there. Okay. Potentially, maybe. potentially, yeah. Potentially. If, if potentially. Fury continues fighting on in this Emmanuel Stewart weight, then there is a potential for him to be stopped. Yes. Right. But I'll, I'll say. Even, no, I'd like to say no, you don't. But his, the potential was there. Even before, right before he changed to Sugar Hill, you saw him changing his fighting style. I, I feel like you, you saw him leaning that way, and Sugar Hill helped him enhance what he was doing at that point, right? And, yeah, and right okay, before, yeah. I felt we were seeing the best Tyson Fury, which brings me to the fact that right before then, he fought. Otavalin. Yes. And I know where you're going. Okay. Go on, Hayden. <laughs> him fighting for his life and throwing bombs, and Valen was still there. He can take it. He Even when he was outboxed, Valen could take it, but there were spots where Valen was outboxing Fury. Okay, Hayden. To, Mar- yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. That's true. My right. to that is. We only saw Fury fighting for his life when right. the doctor came and looked at that cut and there was a potential right. of the fight being stopped. Then you saw right. a complete change in Fury's demeanor, how he approached the fight. He wasn't, I don't want to say he wasn't taking Otto Wallen seriously in those, um, you know, the couple, obviously the opening stances of the fight and whatnot, but it wasn't the aggression. He didn't come up with the aggression like that. He was trying to box away, but I don't know what he was doing. But as soon as there was the potential of the fight being stopped due to the cut, Fury's entire demeanor changed and he became super aggressive. He became like, as how he fought against Wilder. And there's still a few rounds left. It wasn't like that happened in the 11th or 12th round. He was cut fairly early on. And we saw the desperation. So we saw the wounded animal fighting with every ounce of his being from then on. But if Fury had fought like that from round one, it would it, it wouldn't have been a close fight, in my opinion. Like because he when he when he changed and started walking forward and leaning on Wallin and beating him up like that, and on, on the inside, Wallin was yeah. It was all for me. It was all fury. Like I, Wallin was having little periods of success from that point on. I, I thought he had some, but when he did have success in those periods, they were great success. And I think it showed his skill. It showed his durability against showed the his guy heart. Yeah, big. Right mm-hmm. against the guy, I think he did a better job with Fury than than Deontay Wilder did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think he, absolutely. I think if he had the kind of pop Wilder did, he would have beaten Fury. Yeah, I can I, I can agree with that performance against Art Wallin is a, a it wasn't a great performance by Fury. It shows to the weaknesses of that Fury has, but you've got to remember Fury was the lightest he'd been in a long time. Which was the most mobile he'd been in in, in a long time. He but was the most strategy for that mobile. fight. It wasn't the best strategy for that fight, as we could see. If he came in, big I agree. And and had Sugar Hill in his corner because he had Ben Davidson in his corner at that point. Still. Ben Davidson, right, right. Yeah, maybe if he had still Sugar Hill in his ben corner, Davidson. I think Ben Davidson did a phenomenal job with. We gave him credit. We we we've given him his flowers we've a few times in this so yeah, yeah. Given him huge credit for what he'd done with Fury, bringing him back from the dead and. The performance he had in the Fury one in the Fury Wilder first fight was a great performance. But Fury's a boxing man himself. He knew what he needed to to best Wilder properly, and he knew what he needed to add to his game. So linking up with Sugar Hill Stewards was the best game plan. 
And I think it was definitely needed after that Otto Wallen fight. He realised something needs to change because he, he didn't look so good. Right there. What you just said right there to me says a lot. He realised after the Wallen fight. Yep. Right? If you if Wallen has left that kind of impression on a guy like Fury to make him go and do so much more, Dillian White's elementary. <laughs> but if, if that Tyson Fury fought... Dylan White as well, he would he would realize the same message. I think so. He would have got the I same so. message. No, I think Dillian White is a bigger target, a a more stand in front of him target. I don't think he boxes well. Um, I think it was the boxing prowess of Otto Wallen, the, you know, which is underrated. But you you look at again. I go back to Brazil, a big man. You know, when we start talking about can he hang with those guys. There's a big man on his resume. Can he hang with those guys? There's an even bigger man now. He, on he his should resume. really, he should I really think... be getting Brazil out, by the way. But you know, I digress. White's White's knocking out Brazil. Hundred percent now. White's knocking out Brazil because he's bigger, not because he's a better boxer. Because he's going head on, he's going head at him, and he is he is bigger, he is more powerful than Wallen. But I think Wallen's big enough, and that's what I said about Usyk. Uh, becoming champion people oh he's not as big as these guys you don't have to be as big as these guys you don't have to hit as hard as them you have to hit hard enough and if you can hit in succession these guys the problem with Deontay Wilder the problem with AJ one punch one punch big punch but still one punch at a time guys like Valen and guys like Fury they throw in combination yep and that's a problem so you know I, I do do I think that do I think that Dillian White deserves to be up in the top six or seven? Yes. Top five now? Yes. Yes. Um, now. Who's your top five? List your top five. Just so we, okay. Uh, uh, got to start with Fury. Yep. Um, so we've got Fury, Yusik, Joshua. Right? Hmm. And for me, it, it gets a little tight right here, but I'm <laughs> still putting Valen up there. Before I put Dillian White. Wow. I, I wow. Still so what Wilder um, completely slid out, yeah? Yeah. It's, so for wow. me, okay. Wilder, Wilder is out because there's blood in the water and, and we have the formula for Wilder. Okay. Yeah. And you, and you Ruiz? Wilder also damaged himself. And I said it before, look, why are you putting on mass? It's going to slow you oh. down. It's not functional. As a strength coach myself, I'm not going to put more mass on you already have, yeah. you're yeah. already the pound for pound, best hardest puncher. You not just pound for pound. You are the hardest puncher in the division. I think it's the first time we're clear in the heavyweight division, actually who the hardest puncher is right before when people were talking about, Oh, Mike Tyson, I didn't think so. I said, Lennox Lewis, you know, other people would say, you know, David Tua had a bigger left hook. So and so right now, I think, we can all agree that Deontay Wilder has the biggest punching power. You don't need more mass then. It's enough power to stop anybody. How about we, instead of learning how to bench press 350 pounds, which really isn't that impressive, you learn how to put two and three punches together other than a super long leaping jab followed by a, a long right hand. How about we learn how to fight at range? Shorten your punches. You know, when a guy fights tall and long or if a guy fights up in your face, how about we learn a little bit of that and how to cut off a ring and make a guy fight 
before you, you know, you start bench pressing a guy. He's, he's not going to be on top of you in the ring where you have to press him off of you. You know, there's no direct correlation putting in that much upper body mass. Now your body has to feed that, you know, it burns more glycogen. You require more oxygen. You're not going to have the stamina. And we did see him gas out. We yep. saw him out after round eight. Wilder was barely able to lift his off, hand. Off the round oh, six. Six, he was finished. Right. Six, he was right. done. It was target practice. Yeah. He was target practice after a while. I so I think, was, I think at this point, too, A, his confidence is shot. B, he took a lot of rough shots there. And C, kind of like when Roy Jones stripped himself of all that mass to go back down to fight Antonio Tarver, it can be damaging if you do yeah. it too quickly. But yeah. right now... I've got to take Deontay Wilder, a okay. fractured, broken uh, Deontay Wilder out of the equation and bump these guys up. Okay. That's fair. Very fair. For those you had the question? Yes, yes. With your criticisms there of Wilder, do you think brother Malik Scott is the right trainer for him? No. Press- I said that from the start. Wow. That's a no. Sounding, heartfelt, imploring no. I like Malik a lot, man. Um, I think he's a good guy and they're very good friends, but part of the problem, and I know Mark Breland personally, I used to train with him at Bedford Stuyvesant in Brooklyn. He was a good trainer. You can't train a guy who's not going to listen. And he didn't listen. He didn't listen to one of the more technical trainers you can find. Malik Scott may have gotten through to him because they're boys, they're friends, and he did okay with him, you know, but I don't think he did a great job with him. I'm not going to go to a guy didn't last. How, how many rounds was that fight? What? The Wilder Malik, Malik Scott fight? One round. He, he, yeah. Malik, Malik, Malik took a dive. He took a dive. So, so one thing some of these guys know about me is that I get calls oftentimes to work with fighters. And there's a non-disclosure because oftentimes it's trainers who need a second set of eyes. And I evaluate the fighter and tell them, this is what you need. They're, they're getting ready for a fight that's going to be different for them or they feel like they need a little something extra. And I come in and this is what we do. We break it down. The first thing I teach most of these guys isn't this is what he's going to do. This is how to beat him. It's this is how he wants to beat you. When we learn and believe that we are secure, that we've tightened up all the things here defensively, that he that the opponent is looking for there's a confidence within ourselves that you know we've done everything we can to prepare for anything that comes at us now let's go put out now let's dismantle our opponent but let's make sure he hasn't dismantled me and i'm overlooking right and that's the problem with a guy like deontay wilder who thought he was invincible oh i'm so fast and athletic and powerful there's no way a guy's gonna hit me once i land this he's gone and in most cases, that's been that's been true. But eventually, there's going to be a guy that has your number. And you're not going to be able to land this or land it as hard as you want or as frequently. Or he's going to weather the storm because you don't know how to bring something else behind it. Right? And that's what's happened. Malik Scott didn't even last a round, a full round with me. How am I going to recruit this guy to, to train me to be the best <laughs> me that I can be to go out and conquer someone else? If he does, he never figured that out. But we can say this too, Hayden. Um, we saw tangible improvements in Wilder in that fight. I mean, like I said, obviously in the first two rounds, we saw Wilder actually fainting. Like I said, I've never seen Wilder faint before in my life. 
trying to establish a jab to the body and whatnot. Yes, it went out the window quickly because a leopard can't well, be changed. Well, let's spots. start with that. Let's but, start with that. But he did. There was some improvements a little bit. There was other. improvement, but here, let's start with that. Get a boxer to teach you how to box. Malik Scott's not a great boxer, right? So we he's, did he's, see him go to the body always, a lot and invested Hayden, will, in the body. But Malik has they, always had, just judging from uh, his interviews, and well, yes, he didn't have a great career, but he's always had a good boxing brain, I would say. Just judging from the interviews I've seen from him pre-Wilder, like, yeah, I've always said he, he's, I've always rated his knowledge. you articulate that to a fighter? Remember, this is a country boy, a stubborn country <laughs> Boy, this isn't a boxer with a high IQ. No one can ever. Okay, any IQ uh, you can question. And not to not to not to just not to be funny, but to be funny, I won't even just leave it at high IQ for boxing. I feel when, once once In I watched Deontay Wilder show up at a, a press conference with headphones on, standing there like an autistic child who you're trying to tune the world out. You know, oh. not not able to really articulate much. My I God, won't, I won't accuse him of being, you know, a, a guy, a super genius. I, I, I he, he, he's a country bumpkin. We know, yeah, we know. He is, he is, yeah. he is an Alabama back country boy that just doesn't <laughs> know, you know. And 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 that's fine. And he's a super athlete. He's super athletic, and that's what's gotten him there. But if you notice, when he was going to the body, he was having success, right? But. I saw that if he did continue going to the body, Tyson Fury was going to drop him because there were a couple of times he looked like he was about to go to the body and stopped. And Tyson Fury had already set the hook and he was about to throw it and stopped. Several occasions he was looking to counter him while his head was down there. Why? Because Deontay Wilder was going to the body, but he was bending at the waist to do it, not at the legs. Telegraphing it. So that was a problem. One. He's, he's always had that issue, yeah. Right. Two. The guy across from you in the press conference just said, I don't care what Malik Scott shows him. The minute I crack this guy, he's going to revert back to exactly what he's always done. Yeah. And if you know that, then we don't spend time bench pressing. We spend time psychologically reinforcing what it is we're trying to teach you how to do. You can't, there's only so much you can learn in, in, in one training camp or one and a half training camps since, you know, there was the, the the uh, COVID scare and it extended things a bit. So the the decisive plan to change things that Deontay Wilder did, I thought there should have been a jab and there should have been cutting off the ring. The strategy of going to the body was great, but you know he's not going to be able to keep that up and you got to teach it to him correctly. I think if he learned how to feint, double jab, triple jab even, shorten those jabs, long jabs, short jabs, medium jabs, right? And cut off the ring, Tyson Fury would have been in a lot of trouble. I don't think that's honestly, impossible. Honestly, honestly, no, no, forget that, Flores. Honestly, Wilder's just not capable of doing that. I'm going to be so honest. No, no, he's um, not. He's, he would never be able to capable. He'd never be capable of doing that. You've got to take him how he is. I suppose you, there are things you can work on, which we saw, but he's always going to revert to type because this is someone that truly believes in his power. He said it before. You have to be perfect for 12 rounds. I just want to be perfect for two minutes. So there's no training. Well, <laughs> I don't. I don't think there is. I don't think. I think Otto Wallen beats him. I think Usyk beats him. Yeah. I think Dylan White beats I, you know, him. Say again. Dylan White beats him. Do you, do you agree? I think Dylan White can beat him. Okay. I think <laughs> Dylan White. 
I, well, okay. So I need to see more from Dillian White, though. I need to see okay. that Dillian White doesn't stand in front of him too long. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so and he has a habit of doing that. Okay. So let's 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 go back to. I also noticed how you didn't put Andrew Ruiz in your top five, which is also very interesting. That's I agree with that as well. But um, yeah, let's go back. To, I know you're not a fan of Andrew Ruiz. I know that. <laughs> um, but yeah, taking it back to I guess White and Wallen, um, the fight that was supposed to happen, but. Um, I know you mentioned how you feel like Wallin's boxing ability is underrated. And for me, that's something that I actually attribute to Dylan White, his underrated boxing ability. Um, I know his flaws are very there to see. Doesn't have great footwork. Um, yeah, his footwork is, is, is all over the place half the time. Um, but for Which me... doesn't get him out of the way in time. Sometimes. Yeah, okay, yes. But for me, in terms of his... I actually think Dylan White has a really, really good boxing brain. And I've always said it before. I stand by it. In terms of punch selection, I think he's up there with the best. Him and Tyson Fury. Um, if you actually watch him work, obviously he's improved so much since the AJ fight. So, so much. And you see Dylan White, it's one thing you, it's rare to see with heavyweights. This guy actively works the body and he works it hard. And he would, obviously he will work for the body then go upstairs if the body's being protected and whatnot. He's very, very economical and he's very, very, when he wants to be anyways, because I know he can be a bit wild sometimes, a bit off balance when he throws his shots. But for the most part, in terms of how he works the body and how he selects his punches, he's actually really, really good. It's an underrated facet of his game. Um, yeah. But yeah, like I said, the flaws are, every, every fighter has flaws and he has real flaws. Yeah. You can see that. But the, those little sides of his game, I think are super underrated and people don't really give it credit for. But yeah, um, the more he keeps working, the more you'll see it, man. Um, his body work is, is unbelievable to me anyways, as a heavyweight. Yeah. Um, heavyweights yeah. tend to headhunt a lot. So yeah, I read he that also, side of he also, has, he also has like, the dark hearts in him as well. He yes, a he's a dog. And this is why I feel like he... Yeah, sorry, Flo. <laughs> no, no, yeah, say, say your piece because he is. He's got the dark arts. He'll lean on you. He'll rough He's talking a lot of trash right now from a hospital bed, though. Um, uh, yeah, but that's that's The thing is, that's what, that's what he's about. He's always... Dylan White keeps the same energy from day one, Flo. You can be t- from the day we've seen him arrive... He, 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 he talks smack. He, he doesn't, he doesn't like let off you. Calls everyone up. He calls everyone out. He literally has that, that road, men- we call it road over here in the UK. Just like, you know, that goon mentality. That's what white yeah. is. Um, yeah, he's a thug. Yeah. He won't let himself be out of box, but what is. He won't just let, let someone exactly. his head off. Um, exactly. He's not going to let that happen to him. He'll lean he, on him. He, he will be dirt and, he, and he's got the dark hearts on smash. Honestly, he's got it on lock. An example of this, Hayden, I'd like to go back to the Joseph Parker fight. Joseph Parker is a boxer who we can easily say when that fight was made is a much better boxer than Dylan White. And a part of us, That's I think, big. when that fight was, was made, I think me and Flo's were quite worried. We were saying this is a tough, really tough fight for, 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 for White because Parker's a really good boxer and White's going to have to box out of his skin. White didn't even do that. He didn't even bother to try and box with Joseph Parker. This guy said straight away, he said, cool. Let's go at him. Yeah, I'm going to go at you. I'm going I'm to go to war. With you. I'm not going to yeah. box you. I'm going to go to war. Right. With you. I, I see, and I th- I think Joseph Parker's overrated as a fighter. Yes, yes, yeah. I, no, I I I can I can defer what? back to the to the Chisora, the you know that Chisora yeah. fight. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I I need you guys to run that again. I'm they not, are. I, I they had are. Chisora they, they, winning by a round. Oh wow. Um, okay. They, yeah, well, I mean, they, I, I, I'll take a draw, but you know, I I had Chisora winning by a round. I need them to run that again. I, I yeah. wasn't convinced. 
they are running it back in December. So that's good news yeah. for you. They're yeah. running it back in December. Yeah. But yeah, just that Parker fight is a good snapshot to use. And I feel like that's something that would happen if Wallen and White were to fight. Um, Wallen will probably have some successes in terms of boxing him. But White has such a will to win that he won't let himself be outboxed for long periods. He's going to turn it into a war, turn it into a slugfest. And he's just going to, he's, he's going to maul Otto Wallen. And I, that's, I that's just why don't I see feel that. like... I think Wallen's a, a very sharp puncher. I think he's got power in both hands that's deceptive. And I think Brazil found that out. He got hurt quite a few times in that fight. I think Tyson Fury was hurt. Uh, and it's hard to hurt Tyson Fury. And he hit him flush a few times. You know, that cut, when you look at the cut and how bad it was, it wasn't caused by a butt. It wasn't caused by an elbow. It was caused by a, a punch that was sharp on the money and turned over and dragged on his face. And when you look at how sharp this guy punches with both hands, any fighter could be in trouble. Is he, is he better than all of them? No. Is he better than most of them? Not at the top, but they, they all need to be super cautious. And if the, he's not on their radar and they overlook that aspect, it's not just his boxing skill. It's the way he punches. He could end a fight on the cut. He could end a fight just hurting you because he will put two and three punches together and he, you know, He'll keep you in trouble. My knock on Otto Wallen is that he's not a great finisher. He's a very good finisher, but he needs to know when there's blood. No, he needs to always know when they, when his fighter shows that he's hurt, look for the finish. He's not a killer. Uh, he's not a killer. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. But he's, he, has he, an he's definitely, he has a great engine for him, yep. which is it's always a plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 I personally think Otto Wallen would have beaten AJ. I, I think, oh. I think he's just that much farther ahead in oh. his ability. AJ Maybe. is a pure mm -mm. athlete. He's a little bit because, because Wallen's a boxer, he's that rare boxer at that level. You know, just like when I used to say, Usyk would beat AJ and people would, what are you crazy? He's too small. I don't think so at all. I think he's small enough to be mobile enough and fast enough to get out of the way of long AJ, long, flat, straight AJ punching. And if Wallen takes his head off center line, I think it could almost be, you know, very, it's just an academic fight for him. I think it's, it's just, he takes, he takes him to school. He really does. Wow. I, I can't co-sign the AJ shout, <laughs> but, but I, I, I mean, that's, now, that's, I don't know that he stops AJ, but I he, think he outboxes. AJ. Okay. I, 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 okay. I think AJ, AJ knocks him out though. But um, yeah, no. I, 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 okay. So, so let's put a disclaimer in there. If he doesn't get caught by AJ, I, and, and you know, I'm not going to double down on this and say no, he definitely beats AJ. Yeah. Although, if he doesn't get caught by AJ, I think he has a great chance of outboxing him. If okay. AJ cannot land fair. land that punch. If he doesn't land that money punch or that money, comp, you know, two punches to put him down and out, I think he 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 beats him by two or three rounds. Okay, that's fair. Um, are, are you a fan of Wallen's resume? Because when you see with Dylan White, for example, you compare White has definitely fought the higher level. Definitely, definitely. But I mean, I I'm seeing guys like Travis Kaufman and. A couple right. of guys whose name, like a couple of Eastern Europeans, and like, his best win is sure. Brazil. Sure, yeah, exactly. Sure. His best win is Brazil. Got to recognize, got to recognize. But I do think that the Fury fight 
catapults Wallen up there and and is kind of it kind of levels the playing field. He really got an education. He really grew a lot and, and learned a lot in that fight. He he had to. And he learned a little bit more about going to the well to be able to survive that fight because the onslaught was tremendous at times. I think now he has the opportunities as well. I think that Fury fight has given him more opportunity. I think it was a question of opportunities. But I wanted to ask you, now that this white volume fight isn't happening, what next for auto volume? I, I me like personally, I were Otto Wallen's manager, and this I, I would still make noise about this uh, because <laughs> it's your job, and that's what I'm paying you to do, right? It, it, as a manager, that's what you're being paid to do. Here's what I would do: I would go after the WBA regular champion so that I have a belt secured, right? Trevor Bryant would not be able to walk around calling himself a world champion. I would also, <laughs> I would also take out the number one contender, Emmanuel Char, if he gets out of his lawsuit uh, there with wow. um, Frezzo Kendo and the WBA. I'm not even trying to see Char. I'm, I'm, he needs to, he needs to pack it in. My guy's just been hanging around for ages, him and Frez, like, yeah. But I, I understand uh, that. Yeah, and, that, and it's sad because Frezzo Kendo may end up winning the WBA heavyweight title and becoming the oldest man to, to, to be a heavyweight champion on paper through the court system. If I were Frez, I would take the challenge against Trevor Bryant. Um, so, you know, really, Wallen needs to go for the low-hanging fruit and then work its way back up. If you've got a WBA belt, you can call yourself a world champion. It puts you in line. It puts you in contention. And you do get to say, I am a world champion. Um, it's marketing. So, I like, for me... I like the thing with Ruiz. Mm. I, that's that's I, the low-hanging fruit. He beats Ruiz. Yeah, yeah but <laughs> I, I think I, I'd grab a belt first. I'd mm -hmm. get... I'd, I think the, 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 the Trevor Bryant fight's the easier fight to make and the easier fight to win. So I'd go there and I'd be a world champion. That way we've got a world championship 12-rounder with a fat Andy Ruiz instead of a 10-round fight that means is, is a crossroads fight for either fighter. Mm. Okay. So I've got 12 right. rounds to stretch this guy out and pace myself and, and, and make him tired and take him out. Versus a ten rounder, which is going to be slightly, you know, pace slightly fast, faster. There's a title at stake. I get a little bit more marquee value uh, for the money there. It's just, it's such a shame that obviously this fight with White isn't going ahead because, like I said, Hayden, yeah. proving you wrong would have been so sweet, honestly. <laughs> because I'm so adamant that Dylan White would have won that fight, yeah. and you're clear. Obviously, you clearly believe that Warren would have got his number and whatnot. It's a shame. And somewhere down the line, I would like to see that fight again. I, will, I hope they remake that fight at some point down the line. But yeah, let's I talk about, too. obviously, you mentioned it earlier how you questioned Dylan White's heart and whether he does have a legitimate shoulder injury. Even if we, I'm not, obviously, we're not going to throw, throw accusations out there. Or we don't know anything right now, obviously. But if it is legitimate, fair enough. And if it isn't legitimate, yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Good. Because we saw what happened last time with Obviously, I'm sure you're familiar with, with Dylan White's history with the WBC, how he was number one contender for over... Correct. Over, uh, how, long, close, how long was it? Like, over 600 days? Two years? Yeah, something crazy. Um, yeah. The WBC, over a thousand days. Over a thousand one. days, yeah. Yeah, exactly. over a thousand days. So, the, w, the WBC have done him dirty multiple times. How they never yeah. enforced that Wilder fight, I have no idea. Obviously, we know WBC were protecting Wilder. Let's not go Money. into that. We, we know Money. what happened there. But, um, yeah. yeah, obviously... Eventually, obviously, and Dylan's white issue was he was he wasn't taking a step back 
A lot of guys could have waited for the opportunity to come or fought rubbish opposition. He was fighting good opponents and beating them. But obviously, as we saw, he ran into a guy, even though he was beating Povetkin up, he slipped up. And that obviously ruined his standing with the BC. And mm -hmm. so I feel like him this time, maybe not going into a risky fight, potentially losing his mandatory slot, because like we said, he's already interim champion. Yeah. It's a very, very smart move. And, it is. Um, yeah. It is I'm move. glad he's done if it. If management but, can get him out of it, that's great. Uh, you know, I, and I, I don't fault him for that. You know, it, it, it is a business at the end of the day. And, you know, these guys are putting it on the line. You, you don't want to risk yourself unnecessarily. And, and Wallen is a risk. He's a very big risk. Um, I want to see Wallen for selfish reasons, but at the end of the day, it is a business. Dillian White has earned a spot at the top, you know, to, to, to get a shot at titles. Um, and I think it should happen. He did get a raw deal by the WBC and I will acknowledge that, um, you know, this is just the fan in me when I'm talking about, uh, uh, you know, Otto Wallen and, and Dillian White. But at the end of the day, you're absolutely 100% correct. He's deserved a shot. And, and it is, uh, you know, if they can stave off uh, Wallen and, and, and get a shot at Fury, uh, if Fury doesn't uh, retire first, and even if he does and the belt becomes vacant, I think he should get a shot at that belt. I don't know that, I don't know that they should just uh, bestow it on him uh, so much as make it vacant. I'm not sure how that would work with them. I, I would like to see uh, him actually have to fight for that title. Um, Agreed. But he, yeah, he we, all, we always prefer it that way. Don't read that. You know, they, they earn yeah. it and they fight someone as opposed to them being gifted the belt. Um, yeah. And part of yeah. that, again, is me being a fan. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I want to see a fight. I don't want to see him just gifted a belt. And, and, and now we're, we're struggling to find uh, a defense. Um, you know, I, I don't know who who the mandatory would be, but uh, at this point, you know, I, I do agree with you. He does he does deserve that shot. Yeah. Okay. And if you go take Wilder the mandatory, I'll probably. <laughs> I would have a problem. I would have a I would have I a mean, huge I, problem with that. I would have really a problem would. with it, but at the same time, I really want to see that fight for my own selfish reasons. As I've said before, um, a lot of guys were when we discuss who wins between White and Wilder. A lot of people say White has no chance. And I personally feel like he beats Deontay Wilder, but so I, I think he's got a great chance right now. I would love um, to see that fight as, as long as he learns how to step to his side. Once he learns how to step sideways, <laughs> that's it. Mm. Okay. That's it. And you know, step sideways and, and 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 cover up from that you know wild hook. Uh, that's it. Yeah, it, the fight's over. That's the strategy. Um. So I want to have a quick discussion now just on the wider heavyweight division, I guess. Um, obviously, we've seen some major developments, obviously. Um, AJ, first of all, lost his titles against Alexander Usyk. Wonderful performance from Usyk. Brilliant performance. And obviously, then we've seen Tyson Fury saw up that trilogy with Deontay Wilder with a wonderful win. And um, yeah, the heavyweight division, you know, is looking, it's booming right now, as we know. Um, I want to talk about obviously developments from the AJ side of things. Uh, a lot of people obviously were attacking him, not attacking him, but you know, basically saying he's washed up and whatnot, you know, for losing to Alexander Usyk, which to me is crazy because Usyk is a generational fighter. No shame in losing to Usyk, but I think one of the main takeaways was AJ needed to get a new trainer, 
a new training camp set up. And um, obviously since then, there have been some developments in that sense. AJ is currently in America and we've seen, you know, we've seen videos of him, uh, I believe, in uh, Canelo's gym. So Eddie Reynoso, he's visited um, Virgil Hunter's gym as well. That's the legendary trainer to Andre Ward. And we have also now apparently seen him head down to Houston, which I believe that's where you're from, right, Hayden? Um, yeah, here in gone, Houston. He was yep. in Sugarland, which is right outside of Houston at the Charlo gym. Yes, uh, the Ronnie, Ronnie Shields. With, uh, Ronnie Shields and, yeah. uh, and, and Dominic Gwynn, yeah. uh, who was so, assisting. So my question to you is, I guess, um, first of all, do you think it's the right move for AJ to look for a new trainer, a new setup? Apparently, he really yeah. wants to get established a base in America. And do you feel like Ronnie Shields or Virgil Hunter or Eddie Reynoso are the right guys? And if not, who would you offer up? As I, would offer up I would first, I would offer up Dominic Gwynn. Uh, and, and, and people don't realize what an asset a guy like that is, uh, he is a giant killer. That's a guy who knows he'd be able to teach AJ. He would have beaten AJ. And he's the kind of guy that would teach you how to beat yourself. When you're confident that you know how to beat yourself and you know how everybody else knows how they want to try to beat you, then you can get to the prospect of beating someone else. And Dominic Gwynn has been quietly toiling away, working with these guys and, and, and from heavyweight to heavyweight and from giant killer to, to, to giant. I think that would be invaluable. I think uh, being the, uh, a chief second working with Ronnie Shields, that would be still a great asset. Now, there are people who talk about loyalty. Oh, you know, McCracken did so well with him. And he did. He did. You guys have sang his accolades. I've sung his accolades over the years with what he's been able to do and how far he's been able to bring AJ. But to get him to that next level and to start smoothing you know, out some of these tight spots and square, square spots and angles and rounding them out a little bit, I think he needs to get away from that strictly European and, 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 and almost uh, uh, dominant amateur feature of, of his fighting style and come over here where it's a bit more diverse in fighting styles and, and learn from some of these guys in a little more balanced fashion. I think he needs to learn how to box a little bit more, uh, you know, how to turn his punches over and not push a little bit, how to move his head a little bit. He started to show a little bit of that against Usyk, but I think the, the, he needs a little bit more. I think that, that AJ fought a brilliant fight against Usyk. Okay, I, 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 let me let me back up and say, to me, that's one of the best fights I've seen from him. Uh, touching a guy instead of overcommitting all the time, uh, using the jab, poking around a little bit. He was just in there with a guy who's a little bit faster and a lot more angular. And let's face it, how much southpaw experience does he have, right? So I think coming here gives him a, a new look, gives him a new wrinkle, gives him a new experience, fresher eyes. And Ronnie Shields is a badass. He's a really great guy, and having a guy like Dominic Gwynn in the back pocket to show him what as a heavyweight I'm looking at here and how to beat you, especially uh, a, a slightly smaller heavyweight looking at how to beat a giant, a faster heavyweight, uh, a more mobile heavyweight. I'm going to show you, you know, what they're looking. I think that's a great asset. And you don't necessarily have to remove McCracken from a camp. Yeah. Yeah. You're building a team. Yeah. Right. 
So you're not leaving somebody, you're adding people. And I think exactly. that's what people have to, to, to remember. You don't yeah. have to take away to add. You can always add. Yeah. Okay. Um, I will ask you this as well, um, because we've had conversations off air and whatnot. And apart from Dominic winning and Ronnie Shields, I remember you offered up another coach who you felt would be perfect for AJ. And that was uh, Buddy McGurt. Um, that's something I was going to say. Yeah. Um, do you still feel like the other day, right? Yeah, that's what you told me. Um, do you still feel like Buddy McGurt is a great fit for him? I do, I do, especially since uh, his big the bane of his existence right now, uh, is the last fight, and that is the possible, almost inevitable rematch with Usyk. Um, Buddy McGurt has been in the ring with who I think is the greatest southpaw of all time, and did he gave a good account of himself against Pernell Whitaker. Uh, Buddy McGirt yep. is a strategist. Buddy McGirt is a motivator. When you yes, see Buddy McGirt lean into a Toro Gotti and, 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 and really look him in the eyes and say, well, what do you want to do? When Gotti says, I think I broke my hand. What do you want to do? And him, you can see he commands that respect from his fighters that they don't want to disappoint him. Uh, I think AJ could use a little bit of that. I think he could use somebody that he he's driven by and somebody that gets him and buddy McGurk does, he takes the time out to build a relationship with his fighter and, 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 and earn that respect from his fighter that they don't want to disappoint. And they tend to listen more, Buddy asks questions in the corner. A lot of times you'll see, like even in the Deontay Wilder fight, we talked about from round six or round eight on at first there was a fight happening and you know, you would hear them asking questions and you'd hear Deontay Wilder respond and he would ask some of his own questions and nod his head. That's a good sign that a guy's thinking and he's looking and he's making observations and he's conveying and communicating information. The minute a fighter stops doing that and he's just staring at the other corner, there's a problem. And we see that time and time again. We see that when fighters get in trouble and they have no answers and they're in a fog and they're just Holy crap, I got to go out there another round. Holy crap, I got to go out there another round. What am I going to do? When they're telling you what they're seeing, when you say, hey, I want you to do this, and he says, I'm trying, but then you've got to come up with another way to convey that or change the strategy, and that helps the fighter. I think Buddy McGirt has command of that. He does that very well. He gets fighters to communicate, and that's really important. That would be my pick. I can't lie. <laughs> Buddy McGirt would be my go-to. But I can't see a scenario where Buddy McGirt and Rob McCracken are there as co-head trainers. I think one one has to go. Right. Um, yeah. I, I can't see them sharing that role. Um, uh, maybe, I, I, maybe, maybe. 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 Who knows? But at the same time, I also don't even think AJ's going to switch trainers. I think he's sticking with Rob McCracken. Yeah. Um, well, well, to be, to be fair, him. these reports of him wanting a new, uh, it has come from him apparently that he does generally want uh, established sort of like an American base. And I don't know if he, he uh, yeah, I'm not too sure. I would like to think that because I generally think he should. And I agree with you know what you said, Hayden, in terms of you know, loyalty is great, but it's not him being disloyal. Obviously, you know, sometimes you go as far as you can go with someone. It's not a case of you know you know him being this little rubber cracking. It's just that Rob's taking as far as he can go, and to yeah. get over a wrinkle, you just have to look at things from a different lens, different angle, and whatnot. So that's why I feel like him going the American route and looking for a trainer in America can work for him. And yeah, as you said, he doesn't have to get fired on the cracker. He can still be involved in fun, in some regard, 
but right. but it's good to have right. Yes, it's good to have other lenses. Help translate the foundation to the other trainers to get yeah. them to build a foundation. So yeah. he still can be a very integral part of what's yeah. happening. And yeah. then they can go back, you know, once they once they part ways after this fight, they can go back to doing what they need to do. Exactly. Uh, and, and McCracken, Joshua, yeah. uh, you know, so it, a, a temporary consortium, you know, of, of the minds is, is not a bad thing. I, uh-huh. I, I think change is good. And to seeing, you know, to see some diversity, diversity in training is 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 exactly what is nece- necessary for him to go uh, farther, especially with someone like Usyk lurking out there always yeah fully agreed and i also don't think virtual hunter is a bad shout either i do like virtual hunter i think he'll be a decent fit as well but um yeah definitely body mcgurk is someone i think he should potentially look at um but yeah we'll see what happens with that one do you do you feel that obviously i think everyone knows that well i like to think that a lot of people know that aj has the tools to win the rematch but at this moment in time what's your gut saying do you feel like aj you know, get too sick in the rematch, or do you still think it's going to go the same way as it did in that first fight? I think he's a few years away. If he and, he, and he's showing the ability he, to add, he has add to box to in a different way, right? You can't box this guy, he's never going to box him. He's got to fight big, basically, like Fury does. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just think that what I saw was a guy like Usyk just has his number. Uh, the, the, the fighting style, you know. I think he just has AJ's number. It, it, it was just too easy. So, but do you feel like if AJ, do you, do you agree that AJ made it easier than what it should have been by fighting in that way? Or do you feel like if AJ came and fought big, that still would have happened? To AJ, but see, the, here's the problem is AJ's so clean. He's so yeah. neat. It's too nice. He just, he just doesn't have that kind of, that's why I question is bringing the brawl to you, buddy. Fight, you know. That's why I question. Have that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the problem. I mean, I've, I, think, could, I think we've seen it. it I mean, you know, we've seen him earlier in his career. He was a bully, and he would go and chase knockouts and whatnot. But right. since the since the Ruiz loss, there was a change in AJ. I feel, I feel like he became yeah. more of a. But even then, boxer. even when he would chase knockouts, he did it in a pretty neat package. It was never gritty. It may have been amateurish, but as he's learned how to fight more and more it's cleaner and cleaner and cleaner and now it's so super clean and so super neat and so super tidy for a guy like Usyk he's gonna he's gonna even if he brings it at him it's still gonna be a neat package that that Usyk gets to read he can read the playbook on it okay you know he's got to put punches together it's a volume thing his only chance of beating Usyk is to be able to step up in volume yeah and I just I think he's maxed out. He's just too big a guy to to pump out that kind of volume. Damn, damn, AJ. Damn, obviously AJ's yeah. our guy. We always root for which him. is exactly which which maybe you want to talk about in another segment is the reason why we have now the introduction of a bridger weight versus a super you know a, yeah, a, yeah. A, a, a true heavyweight or super heavyweight category. Mm. You know, th- th- there's that spot in there where guys can put out the right volume and the right power and and, yeah. and you know it. After a while, size becomes a detriment. Yeah. Yeah. I right? think a cruiserweight, you know, a cruiserweight can always knock out a heavyweight. A heavyweight can't always knock out a cruiserweight. It's true. It's true. Very, very true. Right. Um, do you think that if I put, to, I put up the matchup of Fury and Usyk together, 
who would you say? I think, who, I think Usyk has a great chance being that okay. he's a crafty southpaw okay. and he fights at range. He changes range very quickly. Uh, I think he gets under a lot of punches. I think he, I, th I think again, Fury boxes well. He boxes excellent for such a big guy at times. He, he has great volume for such a big guy. And I'm going to have to keep saying he does this for such a big guy. I think Usyk has found that sweet spot there and he's still able to double the volume of somebody like Tyson Fury. So you have Usyk beating Fury. Yeah. Okay. Very, very interesting. interesting. Very interesting. Very interesting. interesting. Because I think for me, I've got the other, I think Fury um, beats I don't Usyk. think he's fast Pure, enough. I don't, I, on the I don't fact that Fury, as we said, he's got different, he can fight in different ways. He can choose the box, which I don't think he will. I think he will try to be and enforce the fact that he's the bigger man, like he did with Deontay Wilder. He can and... try, but that's that's a that's a, that's a really crafty southpaw one, yeah, and the is. volume you have to use to get to him. Uh, do I think Fury's fast? Yes, but the amount of energy he has to use to get that to to generate that speed burns him out. You know, it's just too quick a pace. That is very interesting. <laughs> so what he has to, to that. get Usyk, <laughs> He has to get Usyk out in in six rounds, in five or six rounds. After that, he's he's sucking wind. Uh, and he can't, will, he won't be able to keep up. Usyk's, Usyk's boxing brain and the ability to put together a strategy, he has the potential. I said it last time. I said he has the potential to do it. And yeah, he does. Oh, of course he does. I looked, I looked at the old Walling fight versus Fury. And I said, if old Walling can cause Fury this many problems, hmm. someone like Usyk will give him help. But we've seen Fury come stronger and, and do different things. And he's also a master strategist as well. So yeah. it's an interesting, it's an interesting balance. And, and they both have excellent engines. They both have in quality, yeah. quality engines. Um, I yeah. will say this. Yeah. So yeah. a lot, a lot of people say they don't want to see that fight. I want to. I'd love to see it. I, I I, I'd love to. As, love as a to. fan, so I'd yeah, love to. And this is why the heavyweight division is so so interesting right now. It's been blown yeah. wide yeah. open. I'd say, um, yeah. yeah, man. Uh, as listeners, as you can expect, we can talk boxing for hours. All of us clearly. Um, yeah. <laughs> but we're super fans, but we, yeah, we are going to have to wrap up now, I'm afraid. Um, right. This this has been wonderful, though. Hayden, honestly, thanks thanks for coming. This has been a really, uh, really good discussion. Anytime. And we're, Anytime. we're definitely having you on um, again, um, if, if you fancy coming back. Um, oh, we'll definitely have you on again. Um, Thoroughly enjoyed this. Yeah, man, it's been, it's been, it's been really good. Um, Hayden, um, tell the listeners where they can, you know, we can get you on the socials. Um, just, yeah, like, uh, yeah. If you want, I'm um I I, I do uh, shows on BWTV Boxing World TV on Facebook, and uh, it's follow me on Hayden Cowie Guru, uh, Instagram, that's my at Hayden Cowie Guru, uh, and uh, yeah, look for me to be starting a, a podcast in the future, and hopefully uh, get back on here as a guest uh, because this was fantastic, guys. This was great chat. Honestly, that's a podcast I'll be tuning into. I'll tell you that. One hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, yeah, we'll make sure we'll get your tags in there when when we get this upload, get this uploaded, so the listeners awesome. can find you. Um, but yeah, that is Hayden Kawi Guru on Instagram for the listeners to get a Hayden to DM him boxing questions and whatnot. As you can tell, this man's got a wealth of knowledge. Um, <laughs> oh, when it comes to boxing. Um, but yeah, this has been this has been great, man. I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. Um, Likewise. It's been episode 61 of the Strap Season Podcast. I've been your boy, Cam. I'm your boy, Flows. And make sure you check us out on all the streaming platforms, Instagram and Twitter, 
Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that, all of that, all of that. Like, subscribe, comment, leave us a review. Peace. <laughs>